For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 18 through 19. And welcome back to another edition of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. That is uh, the president of Bridge Ministries, Mr. Steve Den Hartog, and his birthday was actually um, just a couple of weeks ago. And what 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 did I give you as a as a gift? My Tell birthday. Me. Yeah, my birthday. I bro. mean, not bir- birthday. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm I got a foggy head today. Uh, Father's Day. Father's Day. Birthday. Yeah. I give you an awesome uh, "Come and Take It" T-shirt. Yeah, from the Alamo. Yeah, an official Alamo T-shirt. <laughs> Alamo cannon on it. Every every year, I always give Steve some sort of, you know, patriotic conservative gift. So, um, I, I kind of keep that that theme rolling and keep him on his feet. Presbyterian so. mug here for baptizing babies. And- yeah. I got you a Texas hat one time Texas that looked hat. really cool, and then a "Come and Take It" uh, T-shirt uh, for Father's Day. So. And the one from California. California. Oh yeah. What was that one? I can't remember what that one was off in. No, I've I've given you the t-shirt about the cessationist group. I have no idea what you're talking about now. I have no idea. We'll get back with you later. On yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about now. Anyway, guys, um, thank you for joining. The don't tread pro- on me. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yes, the don't tread on me t-shirt. I was trying to think about it. Um, anyway, guys, we got a really exciting program for you today. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Jamie Dunlop. He uh, he co-authored a book with Mark Dever titled The Compelling Community, Where God's Power Makes a Church Attractive. It's published by Crossway and uh, was put together by Nine Marks as part of that that whole um, publishing and series of books. But Conrad uh, Mbewe, who I got to meet at G3, uh, had this to say about the book. Quote, this book could not have come at a better time its arguments are compelling. What we need today are not new methods for church growth, but a fresh yielding to the Holy Spirit. And so we're very excited to have him on. He's going to be a first-time guest, and I think today's discussion is um, is going to be good. I know growing up in the church, I've and even recently, I've kind of have struggled with defining community in the church, uh, what fellowship looks like. Um, and sort of the the methods and maybe the way that we define it as as the body of Christ. So I think today is going to be a, a really, really good, insightful discussion, and I hope you guys go check out the book as well. Yeah. Is it something that we can manipulate and put together, or is it something supernatural? I think that's what's going to be really interesting to talk about. Yeah, it is. Um, well, guys, before we jump into the interview, I just want to point everybody to please subscribe to Bridge Radio. Um, Bridge Ministries is a nonprofit Reform Christian Bookstore, teaching ministry, and coffee shop out of the great state of Texas. Texas. And uh, we do this podcast, uh, one, because we absolutely love books. We're theology nerds, and, you know, we if, if we had a lot of money, we would probably have a massive library, or, and the majority of our house would be just full of bookshelves. Like Joel Beakey's? Yes, like, like, like Dr. Beakey's, yeah. Yeah, we had a podcast the last time we had, we talked about that. Um, it, insane library. That he has. And then even the top of PRTS was just insane. Anyway, guys, I'm like, I'm going off. My ADD is catching me. But anyway, guys, we just want to point people to um, to subscribe to Bridge Radio. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Windows, Android. Please download our Bridge app as well. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and Instagram uh, under Bridge Men Laredo. And you can find more information about us. So... 
All right, Steve, we ready to kick off this interview. Let's do it. All right, so Jamie Dunlop has served as an associate pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church since 2009. Prior to that, he managed a line of businesses for a large management consultancy. And thank you so much, Jamie Dunlop, for coming on to Bridge Radio for the first time. It's a it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, so since you are a first-time guest, uh, we always allow... Um, uh, for, for our guests to kind of open up and sort of expand a little bit about you, but most importantly, how God drew you to Saving Faith. Yeah, so uh, I have the testimony I hope my kids can talk about someday, which is uh, I grew up in a home where my mother and my father were both uh, lovers of Christ and lovers of the gospel. Uh, I grew up in a church that was faithful to preach the gospel, and so uh, I can't actually remember a time when I didn't intend to follow Christ. And as I grew, that uh, that understanding of what it meant to follow Christ grew. Uh, and so um, I think that the Lord has always been kind to me, always putting me in churches where I hear the, uh, the gospel proclaimed and the Bible preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually been at, at my church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., for most of the last 20 years, uh, half of that time in business, and for some of that serving as one of the non-staff elders of the church the last 10 years plus a little bit, uh, I've been serving on staff as an associate pastor. And uh, like like many people, I came to Washington for two years, and uh, those two have turned into more than 20, <laughs> almost entirely because of this church. I fell in love with the community of the church when I got here, and it's changed me in ways that have been dramatic and wonderful. Uh-huh. And so it's been a privilege for the last years to be able to serve them as one of their pastors. Mm. Praise God. Yeah, I, um, speaking, since we're going to be on the topic of community, it just hit me right now. I follow uh, Mark Dever on Instagram, and I'm always, look. Uh, I, he comes across my feed, and I'm like, man, you guys are always eating out. <laughs> like at really nice restaurants, like fun, like just eating, and I'm just like, man, that's so that's so cool right now. Yeah, Mark is my boss. Mark Mark is a senior pastor and has a a great desire uh, to spend his life investing in young preachers, and yeah. a lot of that's done over meals. So mm, yeah, uh, I guess his Insta- Instagram account is his uh, his record of discipling. Yes, happens to be his record of where he happens to eat. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so what was the catalyst for writing the compelling? community? Oh, I find I, I write books out of frustration. Uh, and uh, this particular frustration was seeing the difference between what we ta- what we call community in the evangelical world and what I see in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, would, I would say when we think about community as evangelicals, we think small groups. Uh, we tend to think uh, maybe the most comfortable aspect of a church, uh, which often translates into, uh, I'm looking for a bunch of people who are like me, who kind of take me on my own terms. And, uh, and, and I think we often build our churches based on that. We, uh, we build churches uh, kind of slicing and dicing community based on demographics to make sure that you're in just the right group of people just like you, uh, we tell people, look, we have no expectations, come on in, kind of enjoy the church on your own terms. Mm. And, and it works. You can, you can build a group like that. The, the problem is there's nothing distinctly Christian about that. You can build a Jewish synagogue the same way. Mm. Uh, you can build a, a mosque the same way. You can build an atheist club the same way. And what I see in Scripture 
you know, as Jesus talks about, it's your love for one another mm. that tells the world that you're my disciples. So when I look at Ephesians 3, what talks about love between Jews and Gentiles makes even the spiritual world sit up in amazement at, at who God is and what he's done. There's a there's something about the community of the church which should not be explainable by niche marketing and by uh, the demographics of similarity. There should be something that is distinctly and obviously supernatural. And I feel like so often when we talk about community, we, we actually forget what's most important, which is community built around the gospel alone that can't be explained mm. by anything else. Yeah. And so it's, it's that frustration that was the catalyst for the book, just feeling like, I see something in Scripture that I think we often don't appreciate, and perhaps are appreciating less and less as time goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could I could relate a lot to it, even just in reading this uh, the the first couple of chapters in your book of just like the frustration, uh, because the majority of my uh, Christian walk spent in 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 churches is, is kind of revolves around exactly what we're talking about. It's more of a a community based on just commonality, commonality. and uh, you know, and I grew up in a, in, a, in a church where the majority of it was focused on uh, uh, being on the worship team, which was, you know, just favorite music, genre of music, uh, instruments, and that's pretty much where our bond was, and the gospel was very rarely preached, or very rarely would we actually come together mm. and say, hey, um, let's have prayer, or, or let's have a Bible study, and that kind of left me for a long time, um, you know, not even being saved, or not even knowing what the gospel was, so I'm, I'm really interested in getting a little bit more in, into that discussion, because I think mm. it's a, th- this book really hits on an important uh, uh, an important part of the church that we're, we're lacking. So, yeah, you know, it was actually watching a man on my street get converted. That's mm-hmm. part of where the book came from, mm-hmm. and I tell the story in the book. But it's probably not clear in the book that that's one of the main reasons why the book exists. Okay, uh, but um, he lives a few blocks down from me. His name is Bill, uh, and he first started coming to my church. He didn't live here in Washington. He actually lived up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He had yeah. taught decades at Harvard University, and his he is one of the world's experts in groupthink, in mm. mass psychology, how crowds operate. Mm. So he taught about New England witch hunts and financial panics, urban legends. And uh, he, he came to our church because a friend had invited him. And as he and I were talking about it after his conversion, he said, you know, I could tell from the moment I visited, not that there was something strange, just something that it felt more than natural. Mm -hmm. He said, I could tell that the people I was talking to didn't seem to have much in common, and yet I could also tell that they were committed to each other in a way that was quite profound. Mm. And I, as a professional, was just very intrigued. I just couldn't quite see what what pulled these people together. So next time he was in D.C., he visited again and uh, started talking to people more, and that got him reading the scriptures, and he began to be very convicted by his sin, and eventually was was saved. And around that time, moved here to our neighborhood, which is why he lives on my street, was baptized, joined our church, who's been a member now for more than a decade. Wow. Um, and uh, it was, you know, for, for someone who understood groups so well, uh, there was if anybody could have figured out what it was that made this community tick, it should have been him, but he couldn't. Wow. 
And that's that's not because there's something unique to my congregation. That happens. I mean, I, I've heard many testimonies like that. That is, you know, every true church yeah. should have a community. It just doesn't make sense unless you understand the power of the gospel to pull us together. Yeah, praise God. That's really interesting. So often our emphasis uh, from an outreach perspective in churches is to focus on those commonalities. For example, you'll have a men's group, you know, that may be an outdoors-oriented group or cycling group or women's knitting group or whatever the case may be, you know. Not that those are intrinsically bad, but it's almost like those become the focus to draw us together as opposed to, you know, the gospel being that foundation. So, And, And I have incredible sympathy with that. You know, we want people to come to hear the gospel to be saved. Sure. And there's nothing inherently wrong with a men's group. You know, I just spent a whole bunch of time helping to plan our women's retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's ministry by similarity. There, you know, there's something unique about that that's useful. And yet, if if the main if the main way we do community as a church is ministry by similarity, right? It, it just means that there. People are going to enjoy that regardless of whether or not they're Christians. Yeah, and exactly. And that's, that's a dangerous thing. So, you know, I'm on Capitol Hill. So if we had a small group for, you know, young conservative Republicans, right. we would probably get a whole bunch of people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and yet what's probably more biblical and I think honestly more attractive and powerful is when people walk into my church who are deeply entrenched in politics mm. and they see people from the other side of the aisle and they realize, wow, you know, we spend all of our time on Capitol Hill fighting about politics, but these people who disagree violently, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say violently, <laughs> who disagree significantly, right. have something even stronger that pulls them together. And we've seen a number of people here become Christians because of that, because it's clear here that Christ is more valuable than politics. Yeah, amen. Yeah. That's great. So, Jamie, in your book, you wrote, I want to both raise and lower your ambitions mm. for church community. Can you please talk about that a little bit, what you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, I want to raise my readers' expectations because I think that we have sold ourselves short as evangelicals in thinking about community. Uh, we just generally think community, oh, yes, we have small groups. Check the box. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. And there is something about the community of a whole church uh, which is far more diverse than a small group, and in many ways far more challenging than a small group, and yet works because of our love of Jesus Christ, uh, that I think is 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 much more than what we have. And so if I, I hope as people read the book, they begin to catch a vision for community, which is more than just, oh, yes, I have some friends at my church. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I want to raise expectations. When I say I want to lower expectations, I really mean I want to lower expectations for what you can do to build community. I think that very often we, especially as pastors, I'll kind of blame my profession, we tend to think about community as something that we need to build. You know, so I'll create a young professionals network, and I'll create a, a brunch for seniors, and I'll, I'll create a, uh, a class for young parents. And we call that community. And it is true that you can build community. What you can't do is you cannot build community that showcases the gospel. Only the gospel can do that. And so I really want people to think less about how do we construct community, which you generally do on the principles of niche marketing, and more how do we help Christians begin to act like Christians because then they will naturally 
gravitate to this community that God is building. I want I want community built by God and the gospel, not just based on human wisdom. Right. Yeah. Um, so going going off of that, before we really dive in, um, mm-hmm. I, I want you to touch on uh, on what on two churches in the D.C. area and and what point can be made from that. We kind of talked a little bit about it, but if you could just kind of expand on that, you talk about it in your book. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. So. I, I'm always interested in the other churches in my neighborhood, and uh, I was struck reading the history of another church uh, very close by uh, that is very theologically liberal. So they were advocating gay marriage decades before it was cool, hmm. uh, and decades ago uh, lost any semblance of, of uh, biblical fidelity. And yet their history feels very similar to our church's history. Uh, we were both founded within five years of each other, right after the Civil War. Uh, we both experienced great growth in the years after World War II. We both experienced decline after the um, the uh, riots that burned much of this part of the city. Uh, we both purged our membership rules to increasingly make sure that those who are members are actually attenders. Uh, we both began to grow again in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, it was just, it was striking to think, I, I do think there's something special about a gospel-based community, which is what is at this church mm-hmm. that I attend, that you don't need the gospel to have that same growth. Mm-hmm. You don't need to believe. In fact, I remember when I first moved here, their pastor was an atheist. He didn't even believe in God. Wow. Uh, yeah. And and yet was able to grow this great community. And yeah. you read the Washington Post, you'll read about their community, you'll read about our community. Uh, and I, I think as evangelicals, sometimes we assume, because I have great community, because people like to be here, that must mean we're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that's not necessarily true. You can absolutely build community without the gospel. Hmm. And so we need to make sure the community we build in our churches is entirely dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So along those lines, how how do churches build community without without the gospel? Well, it's much what we've been talking about. You figure out what people want, and you give it to them. Gotcha. So people want great programs for their kids, so you give it to them. Sure. Uh, people want small groups that are good for business networking, so you give it to them. People want uh, a church where they can come on their own terms, so there's no expectations, so you give it to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether you're the Jehovah's Witness or a Baptist church or the Mormons, you're going to get, you're going to draw a crowd mm-hmm. uh, because that's what people want. So right. you build community without the gospel by giving people what they want in their own terms on an entirely naturalistic basis. Yeah. Mm. You you talk about a, a demographic phenomenon and then a gospel phenomenon as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about those two? Yeah. Uh, when you build community based on similarity, based on letting people have things on their own terms. I think what you're building is a demographic phenomenon. People do not need to believe the gospel to be attracted to that kind of community. Mm. And I think in many of our churches today, that's precisely what we've done. If we look around and uh, we'll discover these people who love to come to church may not in fact be Christians, because we built the church so it's going to work, and by work I mean grow, regardless of what people actually believe. Hmm. Uh, a gospel phenomenon is what my friend Bill saw when he came to this church, that you cannot 
explain it. You cannot explain that unity between Jew and Gentile in the Ephesian church in the first century, except for something supernatural. And that's what I want us to aspire to as churches. I want us to aspire to community, which is evidently supernatural, that you you cannot explain it except by saying, these people are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So you've got this church or this community that yeah. uh, is not necessarily a Christian community, you know, centered around the gospel. What are what are some of the consequences that happen that come about as a result of building a church community around, you know, that mm. strategy without 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 making the gospel the center? Yeah, a, a few things. Number one. Uh, I think you you risk having a church made of people who are Christians in name only, hmm. yeah. uh, because they didn't come for the gospel in the first place, and they'll be quite happy staying without the gospel. Sure, uh, that's probably the most dangerous uh, that you have a whole bunch of people who are quite sure they're Christians because they love their church, yeah. and yet they've never actually submitted themselves to the rule of Christ and had their sins forgiven. Hmm. I think another consequence is you end up as a pastor on this this treadmill where you attracted them in based on the things that they liked in their flesh, and to keep them, you have to give them more and more of that. Mm-hmm. So you attracted them in with awesome music and this great emotional experience, and you just need to kind of hype that up week after week or else you lose them. Yeah. Uh, almost like you're running in an amusement park instead of a church. Yeah. Mm. I think a third thing you see is you see churches that are not diverse. Mm. Uh, to to be in a church like the Ephesian church that has Jew and Gentile, or you know, translate that to whatever context you're in, requires a good degree of sacrifice. You know, you read through Romans 12 as Paul talks about uh, what the community of the church should look like. There's a lot of sacrifice there. It's a joyful sacrifice, but it costs something to love people who are quite different from you. That is not a comfortable thing to do. And when we build community based on uh, kind of naturalistic laws, uh, we're building community requires no sacrifice. It it does not require what Romans 12 describes. It doesn't require what Ephesians 2 and 3 describe. And as a result, when we then turn around and ask people, okay, so we want to love people who are uncomfortable to love, and we want you to begin to sacrifice it should be no surprise that they don't do it very well. Mm. And so why why are evangelical churches less diverse generally than theologically liberal churches, mm-hmm. uh, which is a demographic fact? I wonder if it's because we as evangelicals have done a particularly bad job of teaching people what it means to love Christ more than their own comfort. Would you also say that another consequence of—, of of having these sorts of strategies is that actual true believers will leave the church? Uh, sometimes, yeah. I think true believers will will want to be in a place that feels more gospelly. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, it's, a great, it's a great observation, Leo. So how do we aspire to build a community on relationships that are obviously supernatural? Hmm. Uh, I think two things. Uh, there's probably a lot more than that, but two things come to mind. The first is we need to be honest with people about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, first John's really clear. To follow Jesus means to love his other followers. And that love is costly. I, I think many of us have gotten used to saying you can have church on your own terms, and that's not what I say in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have church on, the, on, on Jesus' terms. 
And so I, I'm at a Baptist church. Baptist churches have been terrible in thinking about membership. We we give membership to anything that moves, hmm. particularly if it moves down the aisle at the end of the service. <laughs> and uh, and I think that if if we begin to be more biblical in what it means to be a church member, that to be a church member means you're going to be at church. To be a church member means that you are going to commit to love others in your church, mm-hmm. not to add to the scriptures, but just to be honest about the scriptures. Uh, as we begin to raise the bar for membership and to expect what Jesus expects of people, uh, that you can't just wander into church and kind of do things your own, and when you decide you love your sin more than Jesus, to wander back out with no consequences. Mm. Uh, but to to be careful about who comes in, and to be careful about church discipline, about how people leave, uh, I think we begin to subvert some of the consumerism that has leaked into evangelical church culture, uh, where we're saying, no, you're here because you love Christ more than comfort. Mm. And that's a significant piece of of building community that is, I think, evidently supernatural, because you now have a church of people who are actually looking and acting and feeling like Christians. Uh, so I, I describe in the book kind of an image that comes to mind as a, a greenhouse, where membership uh, is, it's like that glass panel that separates that you know, warm, lush ecosystem on the inside from the cold, hard world on the outside. And I think getting, cleaning up our membership processes and cleaning up what it means to be part of a church is is the foundation for what, what it means to do this well. Hmm. Um, that's one thing. I think the second thing is we just, we need to help our people escape their addiction to ministry by similarity. Uh, so many evangelicals, they want a group who's just like them. Mm-hmm. You know, so people come to my, my church are half single adults. It's a young church and they all come in and where's the singles group? Well, in this church, the church is a singles group. Mm. You know, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, someone comes in, well, where's, where's the, where's the young moms group? Where's the group for retirees? We are, we do have a few of them as well. Mm-hmm. And I just, I need to constantly tell people, look, you're naturally going to develop relationships with other retirees if, if that's your stage of life. Right. My job as a pastor is to, to expose you to the glory and the wonder of this relationship with this, you know, young 23-year-old, uh, because that's a relationship that's not based on similarity. That's a relationship based on the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation as a pastor you need to have over and over and over again, where you're calling people to love Christ more than comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I give an example when, or an illustration when I teach our membership class uh, of you know, say, say uh, Steve, you and I are are both baseball fans, and we're both members of the same church. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we get together, what do we talk about? We talk about Jesus, but we talk a lot about baseball. Sure. And yet Julio and I, you know, we, we can't really think of anything we have in common except for Jesus. So that means that our friendship is actually going to, it's going to be a little more work, right? We don't have that innate understanding of each other. We don't have anything natural we can talk about. Sure. So what are we going to talk? We're going to talk about Jesus. Mm. We we don't have anything else to talk about. And Jesus turns out to be a far more wonderful foundation for friendship than baseball. Amen. And so part of the vision I'm trying to, to help my church discover is that even though these friendships of people who don't share much in common with you are going to take longer to develop and they're going to take more charity and you're going to get hurt a little bit more, uh, 
they have potential to be your deepest, most wonderful friendships because they're just based in the gospel and nothing else. And that's a skill that we can grow in. You can get better at doing that as you begin to lean more and more into your new nature that that loves Christ more than comfort rather than simply acted according to your old nature that loves Christ, that, uh, sorry, keep mixing it up, that loves comfort more than Christ. Yeah, amen. No, I, So those would be two, two ideas. Get, be honest with people about what it means to follow Jesus, that to follow Jesus means to be committed to loving his followers, uh, not just in general and in an academic way, but in a real way in your local church, yeah. and help our people escape their addiction to ministry by similarity. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully... Uh, agree with what you're saying with regards to having those uh, those relationships based around the gospel, around Jesus Christ. And they lead to the deepest um, relationships, I think. It, when when, some, when I meet somebody new and I'm able to have a, a, a discussion with them about theology, about the gospel, about Christ, I feel um, much more intimate with them than I do if I'm talking sports or hunting or anything else, mm-hmm. you know, because, and, and coming from different cultures as well, we experience that in, in Mexico, obviously, mm. with having those different cultural backgrounds, yet if we had that foundation uh, around the gospel, and uh, even though language sometimes was very limited, there was such a connection there because it was it was based around the gospel that you don't get any other way you don't mm-hmm. get it in any other uh you know in any other connection that we can make as uh, in in relationships as humans mm-hmm. um but i wanted to go back a little bit uh jamie and talk a little bit about the membership prop uh um yeah the, how you go Structure, about yeah. yeah how you go about um accepting new members at your church. Mm. Can you give us some some tangible ways that you go about doing that to uh, to make sure that the gospel is center when uh, when you accept new members? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, well, that that's where I tread in dangerous territory because not every church should do it the same way that mine does. Sure. Um, so, so far, I feel like I've been really squarely in the scriptures, and now I'm going to get more pragmatic on you. And so, you know, uh, viewer discretion advised, or <laughs> listener discretion advised. Understood. Um, so I don't think what we do is very unique. We have six classes that you need to take before you become a member. Uh, one is on our statement of faith as a church. One is on our church covenant, uh, which are you know just a bunch of quotations from Scripture about what what the relationship should look like between a, a, a Christian and their church. Uh, we have one on the well, really, the, the book that, that uh, we're talking about, why is membership a big deal? And what is membership in a church? That's the third class. Fourth class is the history of our church, because that helps you understand who we are. Uh, fifth class is on how we think about missions and evangelism. And the sixth class is kind of how we how we do life together, our meetings and uh, bylaws, stuff like that. Wow. You do the six classes, uh, which you can do in one weekend. We, we sometimes do them on Friday night, Saturday morning. And then you sit down for about an hour with one of the pastors. So I did one of these conversations this morning with a, a, a lovely uh, women, woman who's actually the mother of one of our members who just moved to town. And uh, I asked her to share the gospel with me. Now I said, and she said, uh, so I'm like, pretend I just meet you at Walmart and I'm just going to share the gospel. I said, exactly. Mm-hmm. So she, she just explained what it meant to be a Christian and how one would become a Christian. 
I wanted to hear how she became a Christian, ask her some questions about her life and what repentance has looked like for her, what faith has looked like for her. Uh, and, uh, you know, as sometimes in that conversation, it becomes clear to me that this person may not be a Christian, which is a wonderful opportunity. We may study the Bible together for a few weeks. Yeah. And a number of our members have become Christians through that process because they tried to join the church and realized, oh, I'm not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, but assuming they do seem to be a Christian, they can uh, happily agree with our church's statement of faith and our church covenant. Then uh, we would bring that person to the membership at one of our members' meetings. I give them a very you know brief overview. Hey, this is Sally. She became a Christian going to uh, Awana when she was seven, and uh, then the church would vote to bring them into membership. And and here you know even a church of a thousand we. We vote to bring them into membership because we would understand from the scriptures that the question of who's in the church is a question for the congregation. That seems to be what we see at the mm. Jesus teach on the church in Matthew 18 of, uh, as Paul describes, uh, who's inside and outside the church in 1 Corinthians 5. The audience there is the assembly, it's the church. And so mm. we teach our members, this is your responsibility as pastors. We want to help you. But at the end of the day, taking care of these people, seeing them in and seeing them out, and, and taking care of in the middle. This is a congregational responsibility. Mm. And I think that's a key piece of membership is membership is telling people, hey, you're on the hook for what happens with these other people you're you're covenanted with, mm. and you need to take that seriously. Wow. And, and so what are some examples that you wouldn't recommend for church membership? What, what are ways in which you've seen churches kind of go about church me- membership that might be kind of flippant? Oh, uh, you know, someone walks the aisle, we take a vote immediately to bring them to the church. That's the old Baptist, I shouldn't say the old Baptist way of doing it. That's the, that's the somewhat modern Baptist way to do it. Okay. Uh, where we, we don't even get to know them very well. Sure. And why should we be surprised if a year from now we don't hear from them anymore? Mm. Uh, that would be one. The second is membership that doesn't have this idea of covenant in it. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, again, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is... I would say yelling at the Corinthian church for not taking this seriously, hmm. uh, that they should be appalled by the conduct of one of their members uh, because he's sleeping with his father's wife. Yeah. And Paul says, even as an apostle, he's not going to do something about it. They need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of membership is something, you know, I check a box and that's really just a private commitment to a church rather than thinking I'm taking responsibility for these people in some sure. degree. Yeah. Uh, that's a cheap way to do membership. I think it, it does bad things to our churches. Yeah. Mm. I could probably, I could probably keep going and think about other bad ways to right. do it. I would think you just, you want to get back to the scriptures. Yeah. The, the Bible does not have a thou shalt join a church verse. Uh, but if you look at all this one another commands together, they take the form of a pretty significant theology of church membership that we should take seriously. And that's really how we show love for people is through making that a rather stringent process, I would say, and making sure that they understand the gospel and that they're committed to it and that they're committed to each other. Um, because otherwise, like we've talked, it, it becomes just a social club and there's really no covenant. Yeah. There's no commitment there. And there's just not an understanding of what the gospel is all about. And so I think, uh, as you've said, the best way to love people and then have them in, in turn love others is to make that process, you know, uh, more than just 
than just joining the Elks or whatever the case yeah. may be. <laughs> just subscribing to a magazine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Steve, I, I love the fact that you use the word love. I think you use it twice in that that sentence you just gave us. That it is all about love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we discover in many aspects of life, love requires commitment. Amen. You know, if if uh, someone says, well. You know, I, I love how Tim Keller puts in his book on marriage. He, he talks about, you know, someone says, well, I'm going to do all the marriage stuff. We're going to live together and we're going to take care of each other, but I don't want to sign on the dotted line to actually get married. Yes. He says, well, then your love has not actually reached the marriage level because your love is not committed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I married my wife 17 and a half years ago, uh, I thought I knew her really well, but mm-hmm. actually in retrospect, we hardly knew each other at all, which mm-hmm. I think is the case for everybody who gets married. Mm-hmm. And yet I made these huge commitments, right, to death do us part, to someone who's changed a lot. And I've changed a lot, sure. you know, and and yet within that that commitment, there's been a relationship which has flourished that's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, amen. Experienced before. And so in a church, when membership has a real commitment attached to it, not a commitment beyond Scripture, the commitment described by Scripture. Mm-hmm. I think you find that there is a, a, a different in type relationship, different in kind relationship that can grow there mm. because as opposed to a consumeristic idea of commitment where, you know, I try before I buy, I get really comfortable and eventually I commit, which is how most commitments work in this world. Mm-hmm. The commitment of marriage and the commitment of church membership are two that are very different where I commit because, as in the case of church membership, because Christ has committed himself to me. Yeah. And then I get comfortable. Yeah. And uh, and so to whatever extent church membership is based on the typical consumeristic, get comfortable and then eventually you commit, I, I think it misleads people about what it means to be a Christian. And you will find something far better if you expect what the Bible expects, that you expect. So, so I had the joy of seeing a woman convert from Hinduism here a, a little while ago. Hmm. And... You know, so one week she was in my living room basically saying, I believe it all, but I don't want my family to disown me. I don't know if I can take the leap. Hmm. Huh. And she took the leap. She became a Christian. She suffered a lot from her family. The very next conversation, she said, so now it's time to join the church. Hmm. I said, you're so right. She understood what so many of us don't, which is I became a Christian, so now I'm going to commit myself to the church. Wow. And I love that. And it's not because she was a mature believer. She'd been a believer for four days. It's because she saw that in the Bible. Yeah, mm, That's good. Um, well, in your book, you identify two types of community, uh, gospel plus and gospel revealing community. Uh, can you please talk about both and, and uh, which one should churches aim for? Yeah, you know, I use those terms gospel plus and gospel revealing because I recognize the people reading this book are not at the theologically liberal church I described earlier in the interview. Mm. There are real gospel-believing, Bible-believing churches. And so what I'm trying to distinguish is not gospel-denying community and gospel community. I'm trying to distinguish between what we often have in our churches, which is community built on the gospel and something else, versus the community I see in Ephesians. A gospel plus community would be, you know, Joe and I are, are, are friends, and we're both Christians, and sometimes we talk about Jesus, but if we're really honest, the real reason we're friends is, you know, we're both uh, school teachers, or we're, we're both singles in our 40s, or we both are really compa- we're both passionate about combating illiteracy, or something mm. like that, where 
where pretty much every relationship with the church is based on the gospel and something else. And I think that's where we're often at. And, and frankly, I think we generally, I shouldn't say generally, sometimes we actually intentionally build our churches that way. And I think we need to contrast that with the kind of community that Bill saw when he came to my church, which is community that reveals the gospel, where you just got to scratch your head because it just does not make sense until you discover the gospel. Hmm. The first, the gospel plus community can do good. Some of my best friends in this church share a lot in common with me, and frankly, we probably would be Christians. We'd be friends even if we weren't Christians. But that kind of community doesn't show off the power of God. It's good, it's useful, but it's lacking something. Other friendships I have in this church, I guarantee you, we would not be friends except for the gospel. <laughs> and that kind of community, it, 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 act, it shows the gospel underneath, it reveals the gospel, it displays the gospel. And churches are always going to be mixed up, they're going to be a mix of both. You know, you, you don't want an unrealistic model of church where you say, you should never be friends with anybody who you have anything in common with except for Jesus. That's just not how we operate. Mm -hmm. And yet we should, as I think you used the word aspire earlier, Steve, we should aspire toward community that really is based on the gospel, that reveals the gospel because it's not going to work except for the gospel. Mm, yeah. And those gospel revealing uh, relationships are so much more deep and I think fulfilling than... And lasting. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Then we would have otherwise. It's, uh, yeah. you know, like the examples that you were giving earlier with regards to marriage, you know, having that commitment in marriage um, uh, enables us to enjoy a relationship that we would have absolutely no way of enjoying and understanding the depth that a, that a relationship can go to, mm -hmm. you know, when you have that commitment um, yeah. as, a, as a result of the gospel, um, when it's so, just based so on the, something else. Yeah. So in the book, I, I give a little illustration, you know, kind of based on the uh, an illustration, well, not an illustration, a vision that happens early in the book of Ezekiel, where uh, Ezekiel sees a, you know, Ezekiel's in Babylon, he sees a vision of the temple back in Jerusalem, and he sees God's spirit on that wheeled throne that you see that astounding mm. description of at the beginning of Ezekiel, mm. that wheeled throne with the Shekinah glory, sure. it, it moves out of the temple. And yet, the temple's still there, the people are still there. It's, it's almost like nobody noticed. And, and I think a good question for us is, if the Holy Spirit suddenly rose and departed from your church, would the whole thing just fall flat on its face? Or, tragically, would it continue on? Hmm. You know, would... Hmm. Would, would friendship suddenly dissolve because we discover we have nothing to relate to anymore? Uh, would your pastoral staff be inundated by counseling requests because suddenly people aren't caring for each other anymore? Mm. Uh, would, would you find your small groups dissolve because we, we don't want to talk about it anymore? Or would you find that actually, by and large, things weren't dependent on God's Spirit in the first place? And I think we need to build our churches so that if God's Spirit were to suddenly leave, which, thank the Lord, he never will, uh, it would fall flat because it was entirely dependent on him in the first place. Hmm. And the challenge is that it's a really scary thing to do. You know, I'm an engineer by training. I love things that are measurable and repeatable. And so when I come to this topic of community, I want it to work. I want it to be reliable. I want it so that if I plug someone who's new into my church into my little formula, 
they're going to end up with friendships that, uh, that they love. And the problem is God's spirit is not measurable and repeatable. Uh, he does what he wants. You know, as, as uh, Jesus says in John 3, you know, the wind goes where it pleases. And uh, so it's a scary thing for us to lean up against the invisible work of God's spirit and build everything there because you can't control him. All right, Jamie. Well, we're going to go ahead and land the plane on this podcast. I want to recommend everyone to go pick up a copy of The Compelling Community, Where God's Power Makes a Church Attractive. Um, but before we end the program, we always allow our guests to share the gospel. We know talking about books and theology and, and mm. having these kind of discussions does not bring people to saving faith, but it's the gospel. So we always end the program with our guests sharing the gospel. So the floor is yours, uh, Jamie. I love that you end that way. That's wonderful. Uh, so I had the privilege of sharing the gospel a few days ago with a guy in a coffee shop, and I just went through the basic outline that, that Paul used in the book of Romans, mm-hmm. you know, God, man, Christ response. We talked about the fact that God is uh, holy, that he is astounding in his beauty and his glory, and he made us to show off how amazing he is. Uh, but we haven't done that. Uh, the Bible says that we have all gone our own way. We've sinned. Uh, and... Uh, And that means that we are deserving of God's wrath because our lives, instead of being dedicated to showing off how amazing God is, have been lies about him. We, we, even in our good deeds, because we've done them for our own glory instead of his, they've been lies about who he is. And because he is so good, he judges sin and will judge sin forever with uh, eternal death and hell. And yet in his mercy, because of his goodness, he sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to live an absolutely perfect life, the life that we were supposed to have lived, that we should have lived and yet did not, and then died on a Roman cross, the death that we were supposed to have died, that should have died and yet had not. God raised him to life three days later to show that he accepted that death as a sacrifice for our sins. And uh, what do we do about that? I love the fact that um, Jesus in Mark 1 does not invite us He commands us to repent and believe, uh, to put our faith in Him uh, alone, not not a Muslim or a Roman Catholic idea where you kind of, you do your best and Christ finishes the job, but faith that is entirely dependent on Christ for His work on our behalf. And faith then that shows up as repentance, that that shows up as a changed life. And for, for all who repent and believe of their sins, who truly do that, our sin is laid on Christ at the cross. His, um, His perfect record, his perfect righteousness is credited to us, so that when God looks at us, uh, as, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, he is, when we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that uh, because Christ bore our penalty on the cross for all who repent and believe, it is now God's justice that demands our forgiveness, which is just an astonishing place to live. Yes. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on to the program we definitely have to have you back i know the majority of our podcasts are uh you know more tailored maybe to the to the layman um uh, just new christian someone who's barely learning theology and i I do think we need to do more podcasts just on uh, something that's more tailored to pastors and leadership the christian community yeah the christian community that's in the church yeah so um yeah we'll be we'll definitely be uh uh, connecting with you in, in the future 
Well, brothers, I appreciate your work. Thank you so much. And it's been a it's been a joy to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jamie. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that wraps up this edition of Bridge Radio. Uh, thank you for staying with us this entire 45 minutes. Ho- hopefully it was uh, it was edifying to you. And please like uh, the, the podcast. Please share it with your for your family and friends, your cats and dogs, as I always say, all, to all of creation. And uh, again, we are Bridge Ministries. We are a nonprofit Reformed Christian bookstore, uh, teaching ministry, and a coffee shop. And uh, we are absolutely dedicated to discipling and equipping Christians for the work of ministry and to proclaim the gospel. We want to bring the Reformation into uh, South America, and, and we definitely, our, our mission here is to uh, just do biblical, conservative, more specifically Reformed uh, Christian teaching in Spanish, just because we definitely feel like that is lacking in, in this part of, uh, of the country. And we've got it coming. Yeah, right? we, we do. We do. We do. We got a lot of plans uh, for that. So um, anyway, guys, if you want to know more about us, please check out our website, bridgemanlaredo.org. You can also go to our Facebook page. And uh, also, too, we would like to ask for you to please prayerfully consider supporting us not only on a one-time donation, but a monthly donation, as this allows us to, just to continue this podcast, continue the Bible studies, the conferences, and a lot of things that we have planned out in the future, including a possible uh, new facility that, that, that we want to build that would really be the central hub of Bridge Ministries and allow us to expand and just do a lot more missional, miss, missionary work here. In South Texas, Mexico, Central America, South America. So Yeah, and even possibly to plant more Bridge Ministries across the United States and yep. elsewhere. So anyway, guys, we always uh, end the program with one question, and that is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will see you on the next edition. Thank you very much for tuning in. Bye-bye.